Section 82 of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew, Volume 1. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk, Part 82. Of the Street Sellers of Rhubarb and Spice. From the street seller whose portrait has already been given, I received the following history. He appeared to be a very truthful and kindly disposed old man. I am one native of Mogador in Morocco. I am an Arab. I left my country when I was sixteen or eighteen year of age. I forget, sir. I don't know which. About eighteen, I think it was. My father was like market men. Make the people pay the toll. He rents the whole market, you see, from the government, and make the people pay so much for their stands. I can't tell you what they called them there. I couldn't recollect what my father paid for the market, but I know some of the people pay him a penny, some a halfpenny for the stands. They're everything sheep, not what they are here in England. They may stop all day for de toll or go when the market is over. My father was not very rich, not very poor. He keep a family. We have bread, meat, chicken, apples, grapes, all the good things to eat. Not like here. Tis the sheepest country in the world. My father have two wives. Not at once, you know. He bury the first and marry another. I was by second wife. He have seven children by her, four sons and three daughters. By the first, I think there was five, two sons and three daughters. Bless you, by the time I was born, there was great many of em married and away in the world. I don't know where they are now. Only one brother I got live, for what I know. Whether the others are dead or where they are, I can't tell. The one brother I speak of is in Algiers now. He is dealer there. What led me to come away, you say? Like good many, I was young and foolish. Like all the rest of young people, I like to see foreign countries. But you see, in my country, the government don't like the people to come away. Not without you pay so much. So Gibraltar was the only port I could go to. It was only one twenty miles across the water, close to us. You see, you go to Gibraltar like smuggling. You smuggle yourself. You talk with the captain, and he do it for you. My father been dead years and years before I come away. I suppose I was about ten year old when he died. I had been at school till time I was grown up, and after that I was shoemaker. I make the slippers. Oh, yes, my mother was alive then. She was dead when I was here in England. I get about one penny a pair for the slippers in my country. Penny dare, as good as shilling here almost. I could make three, four, five pair in one day. I could live on my gains then, better than what I could do here with twelve times as much. That time I could. I don't know what it is now. Yes, my mother gave me leave to go where I like. She never see me since. Note. Sighing. End note. Oh, yes, I love her very much. I am old man now, but I never forgot her yet. Here the old man burst into tears and buried his face in his handkerchief for several minutes. No, no, she don't know when I come away that she never see me again, nor me neither. I tell I go Gibraltar, and then I tell her I go to Lisbon to see my brother, who was spirit merchant there. I didn't say nothing, not at all, about coming back to her. But I thought I should come back soon. If I had taught, I never see no more. Not all the gold in the world take me from her. She was good mother to me. 
I was the youngest but one. My brothers kept my mother, you see. Where I came from, it is not like here. If only one in de family well off, the others never want for noting. In my country, you see, de law is you must maintain your father and mother before you maintain your own family. You must keep them in de house. Here he repeated the law in Hebrew. De people were Mohammedans in Mogador, but we were Jews, just like here, you see. The first thing the Jews teach the children is their duty to their fathers and their mothers. And they love one another more than the gold. But they love the gold more than most people, for you see gold is more to them. In my country the government treats the Jews very badly, so the money all the Jews have to help them. Often the government in my country take all their money from the Jews and kill them after. So the Jews all keep their money in secret places, put the gold in jars, and dig them in the ground. And the men worth hundreds go about with no better clothes than mine. Well, you see, I leave my poor mother. We kissed one another, and cry for half an hour, and come away to Gibraltar. When I get there, my brother come away from Lisbon to Gibraltar. That time it was wartime, and the French was coming to Lisbon, so everybody run. When I come away from Mogador, I have about one hundred dollars. Some my mother give me, and some I had save. When I got to Gibraltar, I begin to have a little stand in the street, with silk handkerchiefs, cotton handkerchiefs, shop goods, you know. I do very well with that. So after, I get license to hawk the town, and after that I keep shop. Altogether, I stop in Gibraltar about six year. I had then about five or six hundred dollars. I live very well all de time, my dear. I was with my brother all de time. After I am six year in Gibraltar, I begin to think I do better in England. I think, like many good people, if I go to another part that is richer, tis de richest country in de world, I do better still. So I start off and get I here, I think, in 1811, when de three shilling pieces first come out. I have about one hundred and thirty pound at that time. I stop in London a good bit and eat my money. It was most done before I start to look for my living. I tried to look what I could do, but I was quite stranger, you see. I am about fourteen or fifteen months before I begin to do anything. I go to the playhouse. I see never such things as I see here before I come. When I come here I think I am in heaven altogether. God Almighty forgive me. Such sops. Note. Shops. End note and such beautiful things. I live in Mary Axe Parish when I first come, same parish where I live now. Well, you see, some of my countrymen then get good living by selling the rhubarb and spices in the street. I get to know them all, and that time, you see, was the good time. Money was plenty, like the dirt here. That time there was about six or seven Arabians in the street selling rhubarb and spices. Five of them was from Mogador, and two from not far off, and there is about five more going through the country. They all sell the same things, merely rhubarb and spice that time. Before then was good for ten things. After that they get the silks and things beside. I can't tell what first made them sell the rhubarb and the spice, but I think it is because people like to buy the turkey rhubarb of the men in the turbans. When I was little child, I hear talk in Mogador of the people of my country sell the rhubarb in the streets of London, and make plenty money by it. 
there was one very old arabian in de streets when i first come they call him soul he been forty year at the same business he wear de long beard and turkish dress he used to stand by bow church sheepside everybody in de street know him he was de old established one he been dead now f let me see how long he been dead oh dis six or seven and twenty year he die in gibraltar very poor and very old most ninety year of age all de rhubarb sellers was jews there was another called beneforiat and two brothers and another his name was azuli one of aphoriat's brothers used to stand in st paul's churchyard he was very well known all de odors hawk about de town like i do myself now they all gone dead and there are only four of us now in england they all in london and none in de country two of us live in mary axe another live in what they call that spitalfield and de other in petticoat lane de one what live in spitalfield is old man i dare say going for seventy de one in petticoat lane not much above thirty i am little better than seventy-three and de other what live in mary axe about forty i been de longest of all in de streets about thirty-eight or thirty-nine year all that was here when i first come die in london except that old man's soul what i was telling you of that die in gibraltar about thirteen or fourteen die since i come to england some die in de hospital of de jews at mile end some die at home not one of them die worth no money six of them was very old people between sixty and seventy there was some thirty some forty some of them die by inches there was one fine fellow he was six foot two and strong man he take to his bed and fall away so at last you see through his hand he was nothing but de carcass others die of what you call de yellow jaundice some have de fever but their time was come to death we must be when i first come to this country me make plenty of money by selling de rhubarb in de street five and twenty year ago i make a pound a day some time take one week with another i dare say i clear after i pay all de cost of my living thirty shillings and now god help me i don't make not twelve shilling a week and all my food to pay out of dat one week with another when i go out i clear about twelve shilling everything is so cheap now and there is so many sops note shops end note people has no money to buy things with i could do better when everything was dear i could live better get more money and have more for it i have better food better lodging and better clothes i don't know what is the cause as you say i only know that i am worse and everybody is worse that is all i know bread is cheaper but when it was one and ninepence de loaf i could get plenty to buy it with but now it is fivepence i can't know fivepence to have it if de cow is de penny in de market what is the use of dat if you can't get no penny to buy him after i been selling my rhubarb for two years when i first come here i save about a hundred and fifty pound and then you see i agree with three other of my countrymen to take a sop note shop end note in exeter the other tree was rhubarb sellers like myself and have saved good bit of money as well one have seven hundred pound but he have brought three or four hundred pound with him to this country another of the tree have about two hundred and the other about one hundred they have all saved their money out of de rhubarb we keep our sop you see about five year 
and then we fall in pieces altogether. We take and trust and lose all our money. The others never keep a shop before, and not one of us was English scholar. We was forced to keep a man, and that way we lose all our money. So we was forced to part, and everyone go look for hisself. Then we all go selling rhubarb again about the country, and in London, and I never able to hold up my head since. When I come back to de rhubarb, times is getting bad, and I not able to save no more money. All I am worth in de world is all I got in my box, and that altogether is not more than ten shilling. Last week I haven't a pound of meat in de house, and I am obliged to pawn my waistcoat and handkerchief to get me some stock. It is easy to put them in, but very hard to get them out. I had two wives. After two or three year when I come, I marry my first. I had two children by my first, but both of them die very young. One was about five year old, and the other about three. When I travel the country, my first wife, she go with me everywhere. I've been to all parts, to Scotland, to Wales, but not Ireland. I see enough of them Irish in this country. I do not want no more of them there. Not one of my country, I think, ever been to Ireland, and only one beside myself been to Scotland. But that's no use. De Scotch don't know what de spice is. All de time I am in Scotland I can't get no bread. Only barley and pea meal, and that as sour as de vinegar. And I can't get no flour to make none, too. So I begin to say, by God, I come to wrong country here. When I go across the country of England, I never live in no lodging houses, always in de public, because, you see, I do business there. The missus, perhaps, there, buy my spices of me. I lodge once in Taunton, at a house where a woman keep a lodging-house for de Jewish people, what go about with de gold things, de jewellery. At other towns I stop at de public, for there is de company, and I sell my things. I buy my rhubarb and my spice of de large warehouse for de drugs. Sometime I buy it of my countrymen. We all of us know de good spice from de bad. You look, I will show you how to tell de good nutmeg from de bad. Here is some in de shell. You see, I put de strong pin in one, and de oil run out. That is because they has not been put in de spirit to take away de oil for make de extract. Now in de bad nutmeg, all de oil has been took out by de spirit, and then there is no flavour, like those you buy in de sheep shops. Note, cheap shops, end note. I sell de rhubarb, East Indian and Turkey, de cloves, cinnamon, mace, cayenne, pepper, white pepper, a little of all sorts when I get the money to buy it with. I take my solemn oat. I never sheet in scales nor weight, because de law is take weight and give weight. That is judge and justice. There is no luck in de sort weight, no luck at all. Never in my life I put no things with my goods. I tell you de truth, I grind my white pepper with my own hands, but I buy me ginger ground, and that is mixed, I know. I think it is pea flour they put with it. There is no smell in that, but it is the same colour. Two ounces of ginger will give the smell to one pound of pea flour. De public houses will have de sheep ginger, and that I buy. I tell you de truth. How am I to tell what will become of me? That is the Almighty's work. Note. Here he pointed to heaven. End note. De Jews is very good to their old people. If it was not for my old woman, I'd be like gentleman now in de hospital at Mile End. But you see, I married a Christian woman, 
and that is against our people, and I would never leave her, no, not for all the good in the world to come to myself. If I am poor, I am not the only one. In the holiday times, I send a petition, and perhaps there is five shillings for me from the hospital. In the Jews' hospital, there is only ten, what you call the Portuguese Jews. We have hospital to ourselves. There, the old people, they are all above sixty, are all like noblemen, with good clothes, plenty to eat, go where you like, and pipe of tobacco when you want. But I won't go in no hospital away from my old woman. I'll get a bit of crust for her as long as I can stand, but I can hardly do that now. Everyone got his feeling, and I will feel for her as long as I live. When there is the weather, I have the rheumatis. Oh, very bad. Sometimes I can scarcely stand or walk. I am seventy-three, and it is a sad time for me now. I am merry sometimes, though. Everything with the pocket. When the pocket is merry, then I am merry too. Sometime I go home with one shilling, and then I think all gets worse and worse, and what will become of me, I say. But that is the Almighty's work, and I trust in Him. Can I trust any better one? Sometime I say I wish I was back in my country, and I think of my poor mother what is dead now, and then I am very sad. Oh, yes, bless your heart, very sad indeed. The old man appears to sell excellent articles, and to be a very truthful, fair-dealing man. Of the Hawking of Tea Persons Hawking Tea Without a Licence Note, Chitty's edition of Burns' Justice, volume 2, page 1113, end note, are liable to a penalty under 50th year George Third, chapter 41, and even though they had a license, they would be liable to a penalty for selling tea in an unentered place. The penalty under this act is ten pounds, but the prohibition in question has long been commonly, if not very directly, evaded. The hawking of tea in London cannot be considered as immediately a street trade, but it is in some respects blended with street callings and street traffic, so that a brief account is necessary. I will first give a short history of what is, or was, more intimately a portion of the street trade. Until about eight or ten years ago, tea was extensively hawked, from house to house almost, on tally. The tally system is that wherein weekly payments are taken in liquidation of the cost of the article purchased, and the trade is one embodying much of evil and much of trickery. At the present time the tally men are very numerous in London, and in the tally trade there are now not less than one thousand hawkers of, or travellers in, tea but they carry on their business principally in the suburbs. When I come to treat of the class whom I have called distributors, I shall devote an especial inquiry to the tally trade, including, of course, the tea trade. Mr. McCulloch mentions that a Scotsman's tally walk, and the majority of the tally men are Scotchmen, is worth 15% more than an Englishman's. The branch of the tea trade closely connected with the street business is that in tea leaves. The exhausted leaves of the teapot are purchased of servants or of poor women, and they are made into new tea. One gentleman, to whose information 
and to the care he took to test the accuracy of his every statement, I am bound to express my acknowledgments, told me that it would be fair to reckon that in London one thousand five hundred pounds of tea-leaves were weekly converted into new tea, or seventy-eight thousand pounds in the year. One house is known to be very extensively and profitably concerned in this trade, or rather manufacture, and on my asking the gentleman who gave me the information if the house in question, he told me the name, was accounted respectable by their fellow citizens, the answer was at once highly respectable. The old tea-leaves, to be converted into new, are placed by the manufacturers on hot plates, and are re-dried and re-dyed. To give the green hue, a preparation of copper is used. For the black, no dye is necessary in the generality of cases. This tea manufacture is sold to cheap or slop shopkeepers, both in town and country, and especially for hawking in the country, and is almost always sold ready mixed. The admixture of slow leaves, and so on, which used to be gathered for the adulteration of tea, is now unknown, and has been unknown since tea became cheaper. But the old tea-leaf trade is, I am assured, carried on so quietly and cleverly that the most vigilant excise officers are completely in the dark. A smaller tea-maker was, however, fined for tea-leaf conversion last year. Into this curious question, concerning the purposes for which the old tea-leaves are now purchased by parties in the street, I shall enter searchingly when I treat of the street buyers. The information I have already received is of great curiosity and importance, nor shall I suppress the names of those dishonest traders who purchase the old dried tea-leaves as a means of cheating their customers. Into the statistics of this strange trade I will not now enter, but I am informed that great quantities of tea-leaves are sent from the country to London. Perhaps of the fifteen hundred pounds weekly manufactured, three quarters may be collected in the metropolis. I may here add that the great bulk of the tea now hawked throughout the metropolis is supplied from the handsome cars or vans of well-known grocers and tea-dealers. Of these, it was computed for me, there are on no day fewer than one hundred in the streets of London, and of its contiguous and its more remote suburbs, such as Woolwich, and even Barnet. One tradesman has six such cars. The tea is put up in bags of seven, fourteen, and twenty-one pounds, duly apportioned in quarter, half, and whole pounds a quarter of a pound being the smallest quantity vended in this manner. The van and its contents are then entrusted to a driver who has his regular round, and very often his regular customers. The customers purchase their tea from their faith in the respectability of the firm, generally well known through extensive advertising. The teas are supplied by the house which is pronounced to supply them, for the tradesman is the capitalist in the matter. His car-man is the labourer, and the house is responsible for the quality of the article. When a new connection has to be formed, or an old connection to be extended, circulars, bona fide, are sent round, 
and the carman afterwards calls and in some genteel streets i was told calls oft enough at every house and in many districts at every decent-looking house in every street so far then even this part of the traffic may be considered one of the streets the remuneration of the street traveller in or hawker of tea is usually one penny per pound on the lower priced kinds tuppence on the higher but more often one penny and very rarely indeed threepence on the highest the trade is one peculiar to great cities and most peculiar i am assured to london for the tradesman does not know so much as the name of his customer nor perhaps does the carman but merely as number such an one the supply is for ready money or if credit be given it is at the risk of the carman who has a weekly wage in addition to his perquisites every evening when the vehicle is driven back to the premises of its owner stock is taken and the money taken by the carman minus what may be called the poundage is paid over to the proper party a man who had driven or as he called it managed one of these vans told me that he made this way two shillings to two shillings and sixpence a day but he added if you make a good thing of it that way you have all the less salary these carmen are men of good character and good address and were described to me by a gentleman familiar with the trade as of the very best class of porters as this vehicular itinerant business has now become an integral part of the general tea trade i need not further dwell upon it but reserve it until i come to treat of the shopmen of grocers and tea dealers and thence of the tea trade in general i may add however that the tea thus hawked is as regards perhaps three-fourths of the quantity sold known as mixed and sold at four shillings per pound costing at a tea-broker's from two shillings and elevenpence to three shillings and threepence it is announced as to its staple or entire compound to be congu but is in reality a tea known as pouchong some old ladies are still anxious i was told for a cup of good strong bohee and though bohee has been unknown to the tea trade since the expiration of the east india company's charter in eighteen thirty four the accommodating street traveller will undertake to supply the genuine leaf to which the old lady had been so long accustomed the green teas thus sold and they are not above a fiftieth part of the other are common twankes and common young hysons neither of them i can state on excellent authority accounted in the trade to be true teas but as in the case of some other green teas canton made the green is sold from the vans generally at four shillings and sixpence sometimes but rarely as high as five shillings and sixpence what is sold at four shillings and sixpence may cost on the average three shillings and fivepence i may add also that when a good article is supplied such profits in the tea trade are not accounted at all excessive but the more usual mode of tea hawking is by itinerant dealers who have a less direct connection with the shop whereat they purchase their goods to this mode of obtaining a livelihood the hawkers are invited by all the persuasive powers of advertising eloquence to persons in want of a genteel and lucrative employment to gentlemen of good address and business habits 
and so on and so on the genteel and lucrative employment is to hawk tea under the auspices of this company or the other the nature of this business and of the street trade generally is shown in the following statement about twelve years ago i came to london in expectation of a situation as tide-waiter i did not succeed however and not being able to obtain any other employment and trusting to the promises of gentlemen m p s for too long a time my means were exhausted and i was at length induced to embark in the tea business to this i was persuaded by a few friends who advanced me some money considering that it would suit me well while my friends would endeavour to get me a connection that is procure me customers i accordingly went to a well-known tea company in the city a firm bearing a great name their advertisements put forth extraordinary statements of so many persons realising independences from selling their teas and in very short spaces of time i was quite pleased at the prospect presented to me in such glowing terms and depending not a little on my own industry and perseverance i embraced the opportunity and introduced myself forthwith to the company they advised me in the first place to take out a license for selling teas to secure me against any risk of fines or forfeitures the cost of a license after payment of two shillings and elevenpence halfpenny preliminary expenses is eleven shillings per annum to be paid quarterly as it becomes due and it is paid by the company for their agents the license is granted for the place of abode of the traveller and strictly prohibits him from hawking or exposing his wares for sale at places other than at such place of abode but he may of course supply his customers where he will and serve them at their places of abode respectively everything thus prepared i commenced operations but soon found that this tea-dealing was not so advantageous as i had anticipated i found that the commission allowed by the company on cheap teas was very low for those generally used by the working people four shilling tea for instance or that at four shillings per pound i had to pay to the company three shillings and sixpence per pound thus allowing the travelling dealer or agent for commission only sixpence in the pound or a penny halfpenny per quarter now eighty or one hundred customers is considered a fair connection for a dealer and allowing each customer to take a quarter of a pound at an average eighty good customers at that rate would bring him in ten shillings or one hundred customers twelve shillings and sixpence clear profit weekly but many customers do not require so much as a quarter of a pound weekly while others require more so that i find it rather awkward to subdivide it in portions to suit each customer as the smallest quantity made at the warehouse is a quarter of a pound and every quarter is done up in a labelled wrapper with the price marked on it so that to break or disturb the package in any way might cause some customers to suspect that it had been meddled with unfairly another disadvantage was in dealing with the tea company no sugars are supplied by them which makes it more inconvenient for the travelling dealer as his customers find it difficult to get sugars most retail grocers having an objection to sell sugars to any but those who are purchasers of teas as well however i was not confined to deal with this company and so i tried other places and found a city house whose terms were preferable here i could get tea for three shillings and threepence as good as that for which the company charged three shillings and sixpence besides getting it done up to order in plain paper and in quantities to suit every variety of customer there were also sugars which must be had to accommodate the customers at whatever trouble or inconvenience to the traveller 
for it is very lumbersome to carry about, and leaves scarcely any profit at all. The trade is anything but agreeable, and the customers are often exacting. They seem to fancy, however cheaply and well they may be supplied, that the tea-seller is under obligations to them, that their custom will be the making of him, and therefore they expect some compliment in return. The consequence is that very often, unless he be willing to be accounted a shabby man, the tea-dealer is obliged, of a Saturday night, to treat his customers, to ensure a continuance of their custom. Other customers take care to be absent at the time he calls. Those who are anxious to run up bills, perhaps, keep out of the way purposely for two or more successive nights of the dealer's calling, who, notwithstanding, cannot very well avoid serving such customers. This is another evil, and if the tea-man's capital be not sufficient to enable him to carry on the business in this manner, giving credit, for it is unavoidable, he is very soon insolvent, and compelled to give up the business. I had to give it up at last, after having carried it on for four years, leaving eight pounds or nine pounds due to me, in small sums varying from one shilling to ten shillings, one shilling of which I never expected to be paid. I could not have continued it so long, for my means would not allow me to give credit, but getting partial employment at the last-mentioned house, where I dealt, enabled me to do so. When, however, I got permanently employed, I grew tired of tea-dealing and gave it up. In my opinion, the business would best suit persons casually employed, such as dockmen and others, who might have leisure to go about, those also who get other commissions and hawk about other commodities, such as soft wares, might do very well by it. Otherwise, in most cases, it is only resorted to as a makeshift, where no other employment can be obtained. I do not know how many persons are in the trade. I have, however, heard it asserted that there were between 4,000 and 5,000 persons in London engaged in the business, who are, with but few exceptions, Scotchmen. They, of all others, manage to do the best in this line. A man, to undertake the tea business, requires a double capital, because in the first place he has to purchase the tea, then he must give credit and be able to support himself till such time as he can get in his money. Some of the tea-dealers manage to eke out their profits by mixing tea-leaves which have been used with the genuine commodity. They spread the old tea-leaves on tins which they have for the purpose, and by exposing them either to the action of the air or the heat of the fire, the leaves crisp up as they had been before they were used, and are not distinguishable from the rest. I never vended such an article, and that may be one reason why I could not succeed in the business. I believe the career thus detailed is a common one among the hawkers of tea, or rather the travellers in the tea trade. Many sell it on tally. End of section 82